Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Well, the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holidays to you. Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. I'm Marshall. I'm Sophia. This is Tun. We are the incredible trio coming out of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Uh, we are here because Sophia fixed us an amazing steak dinner. And we are talking. We're sitting here and we're talking about this past year. And, I've, and we've achieved quite a bit. We recorded a ton of episodes for you. So many, and learned so much through it. What, what were you saying about, uh, Sophie, about how you feel like your studio practice has improved from these conversations? Hearing all these conversations with everyone has really helped me mature, I think. It's been an incredible journey over the past year, talking to all these people. So influential. Um, but just to update you guys, we're releasing episodes that are on a bit of a delay. We recorded these episodes last year, and unfortunately, Tun wasn't there with us to record. But we have him back, baby. Here he is. That's right. Back in effect. And I am going to be bringing you a lot more episodes. So me and Sophia have been planning some really cool things out for you guys. Uh, we are going to be traveling all the way to Chelsea bring you live recordings yeah. from various people at openings and also i will be uh interviewing collectors and kind of asking them about why you know why they collect so a lot of cool stuff coming up for next year we were thinking of doing mini sets and then we also have we wanted to let you know we have three episodes going to be released this january and february we're going to play some catch up i just want to add that you know while i was away um I was listening to these ep- these episodes, and it was very spiritually fulfilling. I thought just being away, I was trying to, um, I was learning the business side of the art world, and that can take a toll uh, on your spirit. And just listening to my friends in New York laughing, enjoying themselves, and talking about the grind, I think, you know. Help me get through the days. Tun, you're going to make me cry. You're so sweet. <laughs> but that's so damn true. It's true. So the art grind is run by three artists that are living in New York City. And this is being recorded on the fly in between all of our jobs. We use this podcast to ground us in a space where there's so many ways to, to kind of lose yourself. Sophia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I live and work in Brooklyn. I have a studio at the Brooklyn Army Terminal. Uh, I'm a painter. And I also am an artist assistant at Mana Contemporary. And I teach at Pratt and Hudson County Community College. I teach drawing there. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Marshall? Uh, I live and work in Manhattan. Um, I teach drawing and painting at both the New York Academy of Art and the Art Students League of New York. And I am represented by a couple of galleries that I make sort of narrative, figurative paintings and uh, and show them ar- around the city. 
Nice. And what about you, Tun? I'm a nomad in training, and I do all sorts of things from um, producing this podcast, videography, uh, photography, painting, curating shows, and anything to keep the creative dream alive. Hey, there are people giving money. True. Spirits. Spirits, yes. Of art. Uh-huh. The art spirits. Whew. Hey, Sophia. Hey, what? Have you ever heard of James Connolly? No. Who is he? He's our best friend. Really? Why? Because James donated money to our podcast. No way. He's the reason this thing is running. That's amazing. Thank you, James. Thank you so much, James. We need you. We need you. Shout out on Instagram here. No way, dude. James Connolly is like a kick-ass photographer. I hope it's the same one. (laughs) (laughs) These are beautiful, like black and white photos. Oh, my God. You can find James at J-A-M-E-S-C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y photography on Instagram. Thank you, James. All right, signing off, but uh, we just want to let you know that this episode you're listening to is with Tim Okamura. He's so personable, so casually charismatic. And, he's, and he does everything. He's like a man of all trades. He does it all. So you're going to hear a lot about his creative endeavors. Let's do it again. So I'll wait for the intros before I say anything. Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. Uh, my name's Sophia. We're here with Marshall and Hello. Josh. Hello. And today we have, uh, our guest's name is Tim Okamura. Excellent pronunciation. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for having me here. I'm Excited to be here in this very uh, vibey space that you've got. <laughs> With the candles, the plants. I'm distracted by Marshall's paintings. And, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Excited to see them. Yeah, it's actually been a minute since I've seen your work. I think probably since that show that we were in. At one art space, right? Yeah, down yeah. in Tribeca. And that yeah. was funny because I was relaying that story that your show probably... 15 years ago was the first show I went to move into New York City. It was in Williamsburg. Do you, re- do you recall that at all? Mm, was I was going to say 15 show? years ago. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> in Williamsburg, uh, gosh, uh, Delgado Tomei Gallery. Would that be it? The yeah, that spot, sounds right. right. That's yeah. right. Yes, yes. It was uh, the actress Marissa Tomei, her cousin, uh, opened that gallery. Is that right? Her cousin was was married to uh, a very good friend of mine, and they opened that gallery. So, I was one of the first shows there. Okay. And yeah, it was a good, good, good show for me. You know, I hadn't really shown in probably about five years in New York, and okay, I was also working on a film at that time called Prime, which uh, had Uma Thurman and Meryl Streep in it. That's right. Tell me about that, because I remember, I didn't see the movie, but it was, it was about you, essentially, right? Well, it wasn't really, it was, it was about the writer-director, his name is Ben Younger. His first film was called Boiler Room, and then um, this was his second film, Prime, and it, it was actually a little bit autobiographical, like his mother was a therapist, and he sort of, you know, had this wild idea, like what if his, you know, his mother, who was a the therapist, had a extremely, I guess, 
hot and sexy patient <laughs> like Uma Thurman and that, you know, he started a relationship with her. So it was kind of a little bit autobiographical, but the idea, when he first approached me or first talked to me about it, he bought a painting of mine actually. Okay. And he said, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, making the character probably a writer like me, but, but I was thinking maybe a painter. Okay. And I kind of said, you know, you should make him a painter. Like it's a, it's a movie, you know, it's visual. Like you can, you know, inject some, some artwork in there and, and he said, uh, yeah, 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 I guess you're right. Let me think about it. And then he called me pretty much the next day and said, uh, do you want to be involved? Like, I, I think I want to make the character a painter and we can sort of model, you know, his paintings and, and uh, his life after yours a little bit. Mm. That's and, so cool. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah, at that time, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, you know, great break. It was one yeah. of those like, yeah, uh, let me think about, you know, I kind of like put my hand over the phone and was like, you know, sputtering with emotion and joy. And The Boiler Room, that's what it's called? Boiler Room was his first film, and then this film was called Prime. Prime. And, uh, and, and so I said yes and got involved. And uh, initially it's, it was uh, Sandra Bullock was in the starring role. Uh. It, was, it was always Meryl Streep as the... Um, as a therapist, but her patient initially was Sandra Bullock. And, and so I actually met with Sandra Bullock um, because they wanted, part of the plot was to, to do a portrait of that character. And, um, and I said, you know, I don't work from photo, of course, you know, lies. But, uh, <laughs> so I went to uh, this photo studio and uh, Sandra Bullock had just finished shooting the, the poster for Miss Congeniality 2. Um, okay. Oh my past, God. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. So I had her, uh, I had her pose. I had her just sit there, and we were just talking, and I was wow. supposedly sketching her. Wow! <laughs> and literally, like, I never showed her my sketch. Like, it, it, my sketch looked like a, like I, you know, like an emoji, pretty much, like a happy face emoji, because I was so nervous when I was like talking to her. I, I couldn't draw. I All couldn't the strokes think. are shaky. Yeah. It had, you know, it was like a lifelong crush, you know, Sandra. Yeah, Bullock, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> but we got along well, and then, and then she, I guess there was some kind of like creative conflicts or something happened she pulled out of the film and uh they almost shut down production entirely but at the last minute um ben younger grabbed uh uma thurman to step in and play the role and then so i was uh tasked tasked with um doing her portrait wow and, um, you got to meet her too Oh yeah, yeah, and, and same thing. You know, she oh posed and and uh, so crazy. Yeah, it was funny because I was. Um, it, well, actually, no, it, I almost reversed the story. But like right after that film, I ended up working on an Ethan Hawke film, and uh, they had just split. And when I was working oh. on the Ethan Hawke movie, they were like, "Don't, don't say anything to Ethan that you just like <laughs> were True. hanging out with True. Uma." <laughs> Yeah, it was like tense times, but uh, yeah, it was a nice little period of time. I'm mean, very fortunate. Uh, you know, I actually ended up working on about seven or eight feature films J- of doing different artwork sizes for them or consulting. Yeah, them. doing artwork. Um, they were you know using paintings that I had pre-existing, um, like School of Rock. I think was one of the the early ones um, where in the very intro of School of Rock, you see them entering this nightclub, which in fact, was owned by the guys that I used to be in a band with because that was kind of my life before painting. I was, uh, I was in really? a band. Yeah, I was a singer. What was what the name kind of, of this what band? Kind of band? The band was called Set on Stun. Set and on, we like were a kind of, um, yeah, I don't know where that <laughs> <laughs> name came from. In retrospect, there were so many better names that we could have been called, but uh, we somehow settled on that. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was uh, 
you know, for a long time in the nineties, I mean, I was, uh, you know, on tour. Um, I was doing a lot of advertising stuff. I was doing illustration. I mean, I was doing like the cover of the village voice and book covers and things like that. And, and kind of just sort of painting in the background of all that, doing that's my amazing. own stuff. I wow. told you he's well-rounded. Yeah. that's. It. I mean, I watched this interview of you before you came in here. I was like, this guy can talk about his work and he knows how to say everything. And it's like, comes, he's so confident. You got it all, man. And you had such a, that, such a broad a lot has, set. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. A lot, well, a lot of the skill sets out of necessity, you know, survival skills, probably a lot of them. But I yeah. did, uh, I did, I think that, you know, all of that was to say um, that, that I did get kind of a late start, I think, in the, in, you know, in the fine art in world. fine art yeah. painting. Yeah. So that was after you, you were in a band. Is that when you started painting? portraiture because i remember you you went to art school too so i did yeah i went to school of visual arts got my master's degree um 91 92 93 okay. and uh yeah i joined this band i went to like an early um incarnation of lala palooza that actually got rained out huh. I, and i think like, I, I can't remember i think it's like red hot chili peppers i think like maybe nirvana was on that bill uh, i don't know it was a crazy crazy lineup and and there was a huge storm came in and just wiped the whole thing out in new york was that uh new york? yeah it was out on like i think it was like uh like jones beach or something okay, up there yeah, Long Island. Yeah. and uh we were stuck because the buses had dropped everybody off and the buses took off and so everybody's like, well, how the hell are we... Can we curse on this, by the way? Sure. Yeah. You you want. I was going to say, how the fuck are we going to get home? <laughs> and uh, this guy like had a... He just... Him and his buddy were like... I guess he came to pick up his friend. And he had this like old... like, Oh, man. It must have been like, literally like a 1970s boogie van. And he's like, hey, you guys want to ride? And it was me and a couple of friends. And we're like, yeah. He's like... Uh, Scooby-Doo. He's like... Actually, do you want to come see my my friend's band like practice? And I was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then he was like, Actually, do you sing? And I was like, Actually, I do. You know, because I was in a, I was in a couple of bands in Canada before I moved here, and so I ended up like jamming with this band. So it was weird. It went from like trying to attend Lollapalooza to me all of a sudden like jamming with a band in Long Island, and I ended up joining that band. And, and that was set on stun, or that was a band called uh, we ended up being called Engine Number no. Nine. That's a good okay. one. That's yeah, better. That's pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and, we, and it kind of worked. Like, we were sort of, like, pretty hard driving, sort of, like, melodic kind of punk. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a blast. Like, we, we we toured pretty extensively with that band as well. And then... Wow. Um, toured. Yeah. Toured wow. is a big word. Yeah. That means you're going well, somewhere. Well, I mean, the, 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 the next band, like, Set on Stun, that's, that's the, the band where we, like, you know claim to fame like we opened for Sugar Ray I don't know if you remember oh, Sugar sure. Ray oh sure I remember yeah. <laughs> so cool. we opened for a band called Marcy Playground do you remember that band yeah. uh, Sex and Candy I smell sex yeah. and candy yeah and then we came on and like you know well, we, we, we opened for them and we were completely like contrasting style and way heavier sound heavy okay yeah we alienated their entire audience <laughs> i think i think that it, it, it emptied out and then we got off the stage and then like the whole marcy playground uh audience came in but a lot what, of good experiences that's amazing what about that's the part so where you awesome. have a, a podcast where you talk about pop music is that where i have a podcast did you did you say that there's an interview that you said i really loved pop music and we interviewed 
some oh, well, really I had, incredible see, people. I, you know, I know I had I had uh, like radio shows, like live radio shows um, uh-huh. when I was in Canada. Uh, I had a hip hop uh, radio show and uh, like alternative at the time it was called alternative rock or whatever. So I had the only hip hop show in uh, Calgary, Canada. And so when and I was in college at the time. So like when when hip hop uh, acts were touring, you know, and it was still pretty early incarnation. I, I had the only show that was an outlet for them to come on and, and hype up their shows. So we wow. had all kinds of cool folks like, um, you know, Ice-T was on our show and no um, uh, wow. Dream Warriors at that time. And, and then like the big one was like Will Smith. Oh, so yeah. Well, we, you know, we didn't call him. He was, he was uh, you know, it was the Fresh Prince. The Fresh right? Prince. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And he came what? on our show and uh, yeah. That long ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, he was just about to drop Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Like he was hyped because they had just like filmed, I think, the pilot or something like that. Wow. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to be on TV, man. And I was like, wow. wow. I mean, the thing about him though, like, I mean, he was he was a young dude, and well, so was I. But he just had so much charisma. He was so oh, yeah. cool, and um, and that was the funny thing too. I think that that. You know, it's all new to those guys as well. Like they were like, "Holy shit! Like this is a career. Like this is a thing." And uh, I remember, like, you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm half Japanese and half English heritage, and uh, I guess I kind of show up as a white guy pretty often because people can't guess. It's a tough one to guess the half Japanese. Yeah. But um, I think that that those guys that were on tour and at that time were just they were they were just psyched that people were like promoting their music that they were into hip-hop like there was a lot of love you know there wasn't mm-hmm. like i don't remember ever, anybody ever people were surprised sometimes that i was like the host of a hip-hop radio show but i think that in general um you know there's just well received you know just positive vibes and i remember uh you know him being real real positive because i was i was a real like true hip-hop head at that time so we yeah were, we were talking you know in in depth about you know a lot of uh a lot of the music that, that was being made. Well, what was that like being like a, a white kid in Canada in the hip hop? Was that, were you a bit of an outlier? Half Japanese, half yeah. white kid. <laughs> yeah. Half Japanese. In uh, Canada, yeah. Yeah, in Canada, it was a total outlier. Like, I, I think, you know, in call. well, I mean, that's why I got the radio show. <laughs> right. Because nobody else knew anything about hip hop. Yeah. Right. Um, there was a guy, actually, there was a guy that was hosting the show before me, and I think he was like a Jamaican guy or something. And he had he was butting heads with the program director, and they basically kicked him off the program. And they were like, "Okay, who, you know, who can we get?" Uh-huh. And like, I'd been playing some hip hop on my alternative rock show. Okay. And again, I was like the only guy doing that. And they're like, "Hey, you know, do you want to do this hip hop show?" So it was uh, it was a joy. You know, it was such a pleasure. I mean, it was, and, that, and I'm still very sentimental about that whole period of of hip hop, like late '80s, early '90s, because. Oh, that's that's what I played. That's what I you know, that's what I really embraced, and um, and the ideas that were being transmitted in those songs. I mean, obviously the details. You know, like listening to N.W.A. talking about Straight Outta Compton. You know, right. I didn't get the specifics of that, mm-hmm. but I think that in a lot of ways, because I'd missed, I'd missed punk rock by. You know, so I was a little too young for like that whole wave of like rebellion and anger, and so like right. hip hop was kind of this new to me, a new version of punk that that came out. Do you feel like you revisit that nostalgia for pop from that time period in your paintings now at all? Nostalgia for hip hop? Yeah. Um, 
you know, sometimes it depends. It depends on the painting. I think yeah. sometimes those things come up. Um, like recently, I just bought a turntable for the first time, and I don't know why I had this weird thing. Like when I quit the band, um, I, maybe some people can relate to this. Like if you're a dancer, if you're a ballerina, and you quit ballet, you don't go to ballet right after that and like watch ballet. You know, uh-huh. it, it, it's kind of this like sore spot. You know, it takes yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. It takes years to kind of <laughs> heal and be like, you know, like I couldn't go to shows. I couldn't huh. talk to the guys in the band. Like it was just a really emotional kind of breakup, and I. Uh, and I couldn't like buy a turntable or listen to records for a long time. I didn't listen wow. to to rock because I was, the band that I was in was rock. But I recently bought a turntable again. Like it was just this. It took on this huge, <laughs> like it, it's like a turntable cost ten thousand dollars in my mind. Like that's right. how big of a deal it was because yeah. I used to be so. I had a huge vinyl collection which is still at my parents' place, and I just I, I, it was a stigma. Uh, surrounding it for me, and then recently I just was like, "What are you doing? Just f- buy a fucking turntable, you yeah. know? Like it's totally affordable, and you can do yeah. this." So I got this really nice turntable and uh, some decent, okay speakers, and uh, I just and and this I had a little sliver of my original record collection, which the last time that I'd actually bought vinyl was 1991, or wow. maybe not, yeah, about 91. So my whole record collection is hundreds of records from like the '60s until like '91, oh, and uh, cool. so I just started playing these these records, and in there was like Run DMC and like N.W.A. Yeah. and De La Soul and like um, Main Source. I mean, to get a little you know audio too, like to get you know really hip hop deep. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, yeah, you know, like there's a lot of emotion tied to the music that you, you know, grew up with and that really sort of influenced you and really affected you. I think as I got older, you know, you, you, you're not as emotionally attached to stuff as, as, as much. I, I don't find anyway, but that stuff is my, you know, it's a part of my soul. You but know? those are, those mm-hmm. hip hop, like NWA era is so powerful. Even to this day, like the things they say, have so much edge to them, even currently. It's like, I can't believe they were saying that on... I mean, way more so than what people say now. And yeah. I mean, it's like the original punk, you know? It's like there was the Sex totally. Pistols, there was the Clash, there was uh-huh. the Buzzcocks, and then, like, the next generation's doing that. It just wasn't as powerful because it already sort of been done That's before. Right. You know, these are the originators that were like... When NWA came out, it was like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Like, like, this, is, these really guys, this is hardcore. This is real. And nobody's ever told this story before. Uh-huh. You know, nobody had ever even seen, like, you know, that, that whole L.A. style with, like, the khakis and the sweatshirts and the, you know, the yeah. rocking, like, L.A. Kings hats, which, like, I love that because I'm a big hockey fan. Everything was, like, um, black and silver. Yeah, and just, and just, like, really, yeah, you know, just that whole style and that whole, and the, the psychology of, um, you know, what those guys grew up dealing with. And, and, yeah. and again, it's, you know, it, it, I mean, for me growing up in Western Canada, I mean, I can't relate to their to their direct experience or the specifics but i think me and a lot of people that you know really like latched on to hip-hop and and loved it and felt it i think there was just kind of this sense of of um empathy i think to some degree um Uh with with struggle yeah i think there was a like i said just such a sense of um rebellion in the music and such a sense of like fuck you to society yeah. and 
governmental structures and authoritarian stuff that that it, yep. it it captured that same spirit you know that that punkers got into or that like you know going back to like the 60s like hippies you know i mean yeah, counterculture absolutely. stuff like it's you know it's an amazing like how in such a short period of time there's such a huge drastic change in like yeah. culture you know? uh-huh. like like think about the 1950s you know, and like rockabilly and like, yep. you know, haircuts that have, you know, obviously come back in the last couple of years, but just tight, uh-huh. you know, parts and side parts to like the 60s, which is only 10 years later. And you've got long haired hippie dudes to like, you know, 70s stuff, disco and whatnot, yeah. 80s. Even and then the like, 80s, late 80s was hip hop. I mean, in right. such a short period of time, you know, it's amazing. Such a big change. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the unifying thread is always you can identify in great periods of music and art some sort of push for change and and a little bit of anger a little bit of isolation you know something to push back against people ask me like because i'm a huge music fan like what kind of music do you like and it's not it's not an answer it's not a genre it's Mm -hmm. just years of different music you know it's like i like that that age of hip-hop you're talking about i like jazz in the 50s i like rock and roll and 1978 and 68, you know? I think that you can find, you know, if you're a, I don't know, maybe if you're a well-rounded person, but your soul connects with these different things quite easily. Like it, it, it seems like there, there's a great deal of contrast, but I think that there's a spirit, you know, behind the creation of some of those things, like, you know, the jazz innovators. I mean, they're connected to Uh like early hip hop guys, to like rock guys, you know I mean? You know, everybody was going against the grain or everybody that was creating something new or everybody that had like a powerful statement that, you know, manifested through music. I mean, uh, and through art, the same thing. You know, yeah. the struggle is the key. <laughs> yeah. yeah, struggle is the key. Yeah. And I feel like that's why I think your statement about oh, I had a late start in a game with art is kind of absurd because this is so prevalent in art as well it's such a huge and understanding that at that age like and then being able to bring that with you to art I feel like you were ahead of the game in so many ways yeah well yeah thanks for saying that I mean I think that uh, you know I was always involved in art in some way you know whether it was music or or you know I mean doing commercial art or whatever whatever I I was doing at the time but I think when, when I say late start I mean sort of in the in the fine art world game in the gallery world you know like like my first, um, my first solo show in New York was like my first legit Chelsea, like let's put it that way, Chelsea Gallery solo show was 2011. Mm-hmm. That's eight years ago. Uh-huh. I was 42. Um, before that, I had done. I mean, my my first like, hey guys, I'm a painter. Like here's a solo show. <laughs> like was presented at uh, this place called the Cutting Room, which I think maybe still exists in some, some incarnation, but it was actually a music venue, and that was 1999, That's cool. and it was owned by Chris Noth, um, who was oh, Mr. Big on Sex actor. in the City. Yeah, 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 yeah for sex, sure. Sex in the City was huge at that time, uh-huh. and uh, so it was kind of a hype you know, deal to be at the Cutting Room, even though it was like a live music venue, um, but I did, a, I did a solo show there of portraits, and that was my first real show, so I would have been 31 you know, at uh-huh. that time. And I just quit the band at oh, that really? point. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like fresh off that. So I I can't even remember if the guys, I think maybe the guys in my band came and because it was just That's a so weird, sweet. you know. But those were yeah. your people at that yeah. time, you know? And they were like, dude, like, and it was pretty 
fact, actually. <laughs> like, thank goodness. Like, why weren't any of our shows like this? Why didn't you, why didn't you pack out our shows like this? <laughs> you know, I guess, like, the music wasn't for everybody. But the painting was, you know, had a, yeah, positive reception. I mean, it was definitely super encouraging. And actually, um, I mean, a lot of funny stories from that show that I did, like, uh, because Chris Noth was friends with a lot of, um, you know, celebrities at that time. And uh, so Cheryl Crow came and, like, did a show. Like, so my paintings were hanging in this venue, and I kept going down there. And then one night, Cheryl Crow was singing, and at that time, she was dating Kid Rock. Oh. Does that sound right? Do you guys remember yeah. that? So well, Kid Rock shows up. Yeah, that. so Kid Rock shows up, and then... Um, <laughs> and then it's always it was, fun when Kid Rock shows up. And, and then they were friends with Gwyneth Paltrow, so she showed oh. up. And so I'm, I'm like, and all my paintings are hanging, Holy and these guys shit. do this, like, gig. And then the next night, I can't remember who was playing, but David Bowie comes. Really? And the hilarious thing is, you know, after the, the show, they sort of, like, put the tables and chairs back. So imagine, like, a live music venue. It's got paintings hanging on the wall. And some of the tables and chairs were pretty close to, like, my paintings. So your paintings were up while the music's going That's on. So yeah, cool, well, while the music was going That's on. So and, at, cool. and at one point, awesome. so the story goes, unfortunately, I wasn't there that night. But uh, my friend, who was uh, the manager of the club, said, yeah, actually, we had a bit of a problem last night. <laughs> I said, what was it? She was like, well, yeah, David Bowie didn't realize that he was, like, leaning back against your painting so his head was like on your painting I had to go tell like Bowie to get his head off your painting no one wants to tell Bowie what to do and I was like man you shouldn't have told him you should have just taken a picture of him leaning against my like just that was the, such uh, a that's... I was so starstruck even just hearing that story I'm a huge wow. Bowie fan that's amazing so who were your influence in painting in that way same as like your you know hearing about your musical influences yeah uh, I mean I liked you know, I mean, probably like you, like a lot of, you know, what you would call sort of old masters and uh -huh. kind of academic stuff. You know, I always, always loved Rembrandt and yeah. uh, Caravaggio to, to a lesser extent, probably. Probably Rembrandt was really my guy, you know, okay. in terms of portraitures. I love looking at that stuff. And then, um, you know, because I was so into hip hop, I was, I was also into graffiti and street art and that right. type of thing. So I was looking at that and then... And then discovering, you know, a lot of contemporary folks, you know, looking at, um, you know, everybody from like Basquiat to like Larry Rivers to um, like later on, like Julian Schnabel. And, it, it, you know, yeah. I, I think a lot of the painters that I that are sort of heroes of mine, uh, I don't know if they show up in the work sometimes. I think some more than others or sometimes mm. particular pieces because uh, I think it's kind of this big mishmash that's kind of filtered through me. And, uh, and yeah, sometimes there's different notes of different guys, but I don't think, I don't think overall you, you see one specific. I, another, another person I discovered was like Lucian Freud, went to a big Lucian Freud show yeah. at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, that had a big impact. Um, started also, you know, being in New York was a big, huge gateway to a lot of artists I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly the German expressionists that um, there was a gallery. I'm going to blank on the name of the gallery now, but they pretty much specialize in German expressionist work. They were in, uh, they were where uh, upper, upper East side, I like think the, the Nye gallery. Um, gosh, I mean, this is like not early nineties now. I can't in like remember. a gorgeous space with like, yeah, the, the I should remember, but it was like, you know, going there and they would have like in their back room like Lovis Corinth paintings and uh um Oscar Kokoschka paintings uh -huh. and uh 
just, you know, all these kind of semi-obscure, like especially in Lovis Corinth's case, semi-obscure German expressionist guys uh, that that kind of blew my mind, you know. so those guys. Yeah, so, it, you know, again, the funny thing is like, I don't think it's, it showed up in the work so much other than certain things, like I paint pretty thick, you know, and that's yeah. kind of... Um, I was actually saying your application feels like Lucian Freud at times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. At and times, yeah. We were, we were also talking about the fact that when you, ultimately, even when you're painting scenes or these really complicated compositions, ultimately, you at the end of the day, you're a portrait artist. I, I feel like I resonate with that. Um, but, like, even when you're doing figures, the figure, like, sometimes the figure seems like they're pretty huge paintings. And you make the figure feel like it's really standing in the space. Mm. Yeah, and then there's really also grounded. a beautiful portrait. You know, that's, that's not, it's like a rare thing yeah. these days. It doesn't happen a lot, especially yeah. multi-figure. It's really difficult. And to get that from a, from a photographic reference, right. like just an image from the computer, I was like, what the hell? To get that yeah. sense of life space, you know, it's pretty well, I, pr- I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, real weighty. Yeah, thank you. Well, I th- you know, I think at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> overriding everything like beyond stylistic stuff is, is is me trying to represent this person in a in a way that's uh, I don't know a really direct experience of them. You know, like I, I do want it to look like them. I do want it to feel like them. And um, there are some sculptural concerns, I guess, that go into it, which is maybe why they have a certain clarity, you know, in the spaces that they're in. But, uh, you know, that that wanting to represent somebody, you know, in a really, you know, energetic way where it's it's there's no there's not a lot of uh, barriers between you, you know, experiencing sort of this human's presence mm-hmm. is kind of the overriding thing. And I think the overall I think the technique sort of serves that mission. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some people their their imagery serves their technique. And I think uh-huh. in my case, it's it's more reverse. Like I I. I I want to support, you know, I want to portray this imagery, um, you know, with the best technique I can, but I'm not thinking technique first, if that makes so sense. So it's that's like... really great. Yeah. I love that about yeah. the work. I think that's yeah. why it feels so real. I think mm-hmm. that's such an interesting distinction, too, because it's like, if I understand you right, you're saying, like, the formal aspects just support the content in uh-huh. your work. It's like content first. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, and I because I think that I, I see some painters, and it's almost like it's almost like they don't really care too much about the subject, or they don't really yeah. care about the content so much. Uh-huh. It's a lot about you know how they're painting it, and uh, and I enjoy you know some of those guys, but I feel like the subject and the the content is always secondary, and yeah. uh, for me, I think it's the opposite. You said you wanted to feel like a person, like look like a person, feel like a person. What is that intangible? feel what does that mean to you I, I i think a lot of there well it's exactly what you just said it's it's intangible in some ways i think it's you know the the energy you put into creating you know somebody's likeness the the struggle that you have you know attaining or achieving that sometimes the thought that you put into that person or the contemplation of like who they are mm-hmm. is something that reflects back out to the viewer. Mm. So it's not just the physical manifestation of the painting. It's also a lot about like your feelings about that person. Psychic. Yeah. Yeah. That reflect out, you know? And, 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 and yeah. so like, you know, you can see, I mean, even like, 
you know, you can see a painting of an egg, you know, a still life of an egg. And if the artist just poured everything they had into painting this egg. You can like weep. Yeah, that egg it can be magical, you yeah. know, that, that can be transcendent. So yeah. so I always like that idea because it, it's like, you know, it's not just the way you use color or your draftsmanship or, you know, the way you executed, but a lot about like, yeah, just like the emotion that you put into it and your, 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 you know, ponderance of this person's existence and their energy that I think, I think that reflects back out and people don't always know how to, um, you know, verbalize that and, and, uh, you know, understand that that's what's happening in their experience of it. But I think that that's what's going on in my work. I hope that's what's going on in my work. Uh, I just want to say a bunch of random stuff. It's, uh, okay. like my mind, I'm, I'm getting, like I'm waking up, you know? Okay, sure. Uh, when I'm looking at your paintings, we're thinking things like, it's super physical. That reminds me of a wall for graffiti. You feel the presence of the painting as a physical object. Sometimes Almost you even like add objects onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's like this like kind of gritty, grungy like style to it, which I think lends itself to what you just described your work as. Like, don't care how it's done, gotta get it done. Yeah. Like just just fucking just just put those layers on there, describe this form, talk about this feeling. Like that comes through in such a beautiful, heartfelt way. The mm-hmm. third thing, empathy. We're all basically trying to describe, you know, how do you relate to a person telepathically? And, and share a story. And that's so vital to coming across with your portraits, even the political things that you want to say. Right. Um, I don't know. I just want to open up a couple cans of worms. Yeah. <laughs> cans open, worms everywhere. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot there. And I actually really appreciate those things are very perceptive. I think that, I think that my work is very physical. Um, you know, you had mentioned like seeing it on, online or... Um, you know, reproductions and you still, you still get, you know, a a sense of, I I guess, some of the clarity or some of the, you know, interaction. But, uh, I, I think when people see the work in person, they, they realize like the surfaces are, um, there's a lot of variance there. There's a lot of contrast from impasto to like washy areas to Mm kind of areas that are somewhat skeletal sometimes. Um, that's very important to me. Um, yeah, that, that physical presence that those like, you know, sort of bas relief kind of concerns. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Those are definitely going on, especially describing certain textures. Um, I do, I am interested in like this whole, you know, struggle between like illusion and, and you know, like object and, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's it's this interplay, right? Like it's a, it's a, still a painting, it's still a physical object, but Sometimes if I can make something really feel like a wall, I like that. I like that because it kind of like messes with people's like perception of it. You know, I've found certain right. materials where I've like really replicated like a brick wall in a way that makes you experience a brick wall. But mm-hmm. then other areas, it's other areas, it's very clear that it's a painting because there's like drippy, washy stuff going on. So I kind of like right. this back and forth. A lot of my my. I think my thoughts and my my instincts are about contrast and about balancing those things, mm-hmm. and uh, contrast in tone or contrast in well, contrast in um, flat. Yeah, between flat and between this is a two D representation. To well, this is actually you know a, there's a there's a sculptural uh, thing going on with this object, which is a painting, which is canvas stretched on a stretcher bar. You mm-hmm. know there, that that interplay is is uh important to me 
Um, I, I think that the f- part of the physical thing too is that I want people to be able to live with the work for a long time. You know, I mean, I, I think that in the fine art world, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are. It's almost like a one liner. You know, like I just flew in from Chicago, and boy, my arms. You know that I don't have to finish it, but like like a joke. You know, it's like a joke. Like a New York like, cartoon. Yeah, and it, and and there's not much more going on. I mean, maybe uh-huh. somebody could tell themselves a story that there's more going on and, and maybe there is, and I'm just missing it, but it's just a really flat sort of one note kind of thing. And I thought, wow, like, you know, you're going to get that joke, uh, told to you every day that you see that painting for however many years you just, you choose to hang it, you know, in the place that you're, um, residing or experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And like, at what point do you just tune it out? Right. You, don't, you no longer see it and you no longer experience it. Like for me, I think with a lot of work, you, you're going to tune it out pretty quickly, you uh-huh, know? For and sure. I want there to be, um, when somebody experiences my work and your, I mean, Marshall, like your work is so detail oriented. There's so much going on. I want people to be able to come back to it repeatedly and discover new things. Mm-hmm. And I want them to, to, you know, of course there's the overall image and there's the content and the message and there's the figure and all that. But I also want them to go to like, you know, some passage in the background and, 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 and just focus in on one area and say, actually, this is kind of a cool little abstract area, you know, or, or, or like, actually, you know, it's interesting that he collaged this thing. And I just, for the very first time read, you know, this written material in the collage, do you you know what I mean? Like I want you to to be able to keep discovering things. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully for a long, a long time. I mean, I think that's, that, that's important to me. I have a, a, an observation. Tell me if I'm right or not. But like going through a little bit of your interest growing up and you had mentioned empathy in there and that's like a level of, you you had a broad sense of appreciation from Basquiat to Rembrandt from NWA to, you know, Pearl Jam or whatever. Right. It's like you, you're, you're like this omnivore, cultural Mm -hmm. omnivore. And I wonder if that level of empathy relating to all these different cultures and has gets into your painting and adds that weight in some ways, just your your sensitivity as a human. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I I think that that was a you know pretty good assessment. Like I definitely, um, you know, I think I think being mixed race, being half Japanese, you know, like Eastern culture, Western culture. I mean, my uh-huh. father grew up Buddhist. My mother grew up, you know, Christian, Protestant. Yeah. Um, you know, that's who I am, which yeah. is these two different worlds colliding, uh-huh. right? And then growing up in Canada and that yep. experience, which is, which is, in subtle ways, uh, yeah, and it's and it's quite different from the American experience in. Mm-hmm some ways that are more overt, but, um, I've, I've just kind of, you know, like when they, that, that type of music came out of, they were called mashups, you know, these two unlikely different songs that got mashed together. I'm like, my, my life has been a mashup. Uh, I mentioned having two radio shows. One was like a rock show. One was hip hop show. And and I'm, I, I, I'm like one of those guys that, you know, I understand like code switching. I understand like moving in different circles. Like, you know, I often think about math, you know, when they have those different diagrams, like prime numbers, the, the Venn diagram of like where, where everything overlaps, uh-huh. you know, all these different numbers. And there's that one sort of sweet spot. And I think I've kind of lived in that sweet spot, That's you. but I can That's branch great. out into those different, you know, those different areas and, and kind of, 
um, you know, at the very worst, like get by, you know, (laughs) but at the very best, like thrive. In some ways is such a New York ethos in a way and in your paintings feel so New York, you know, and Mm -hmm. it feels like you found the right city for, for you. Well, I think that's true. I think that anybody that, that lives here is 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 made of similar stuff, you know? And that's why, actually, when I first came to this city, I fell in love immediately. Yeah. I was like, this is it for me. Yeah. Because everybody Everyone. gets it to that, yeah. you know, to that, you know, to a greater or lesser extent. Like, I mean, as I told a friend years ago, I'm like, we're all riding the subway together, man. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was just telling Marsh that. Yeah. <laughs> We all yeah. share a common experience, yeah. and and uh, even it's just even even if it's just temporary, there's always that overlap, right? And yeah. uh, and I think that there's so many that come to the city who are creative folks that were maybe you know almost like a fish out of water wherever they came from, and they come here, and it's like it all kind of makes sense. It like, all makes yeah, sense. Like you're wearing a Wu Tang shirt, you yeah, know, yeah. Like you're, but you're also talking about yeah. I mean, we can talk about rock stuff. I mean, um, you know it. You, People are affluent in so many different uh, arenas that it's uh, that's kind of the magic of the city, and yeah. and I think that's certainly been something that's informed my work as well. Mm. Mm. I definitely feel like uh, empathy and uh, this like every man is that we're all the same. We're all living in this community. We're all we all ride the train. Like those two words, kind of really are the peanut butter. Or the glue and your <laughs> yeah. paintings, because you're yeah. you are dealing with like some pretty um, intense topics in your paintings, like yeah. topics that are hard to approach for a lot of people, and you say them proudly, you say them with a lot of fervor, a lot of confidence. I don't know. I feel like those those two elements help me kind of get there with you and appreciate those things with you and, and step up to the plate with you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that. I think that, I think that empathy is, is a pretty important, um, concept for me to understand, you know, and what makes me tick. Um, you know, I'm still in a process of discovery in terms of like, you know, who am I? I think there's some things that I probably, um, didn't recognize as being as, as influential as they have been in my life. Um, some things that, you know, in terms of my own personal experience and then also my family history, like my father, being Japanese, um, you know, there was the Japanese internment during World War II that happened in America and Canada. Yep. So his family, um, you know, basically the government was uh, during the internment or the beginning of the internment was like, guys, you have like two days to report to this train station. You can take, you know, one suitcase per family member. And by the way, we now own your land, your house, your cars and all your possessions. Holy and shit. you're basically going to prison camp. Was that your dad in Canada? Yeah, that was my dad in Canada. Wow. Uh, his experience. And, um, you know, it's something that I still can't get too much information on from, like, him. And I mean, he was pretty young at that time, but, but like, the, some of the older folks in our family, I mean, they, it's just too painful for them to discuss. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the fabric of, you know, what I was born into is this great upheaval, um, mm-hmm. a, a real sense of, of a huge injustice. I mean, imagine, imagine the government says we now own everything. You can pack one suitcase guys. Like, you know, all, everything you have surrounding you right here is gone. It's gone. You know, like imagine wow. like how devastating that is. And so that is part of the fabric of like 
their experience and, and like I said, and, and who I am. You inherited yeah. that. Yeah, you inherit that, you know, and people talk about experiences, you know, sometimes just being, you know, passed along in your DNA. And that's part of, uh, you know, who I am, this, this sense of loss, I think, and a sense mm-hmm. of injustice and a sense mm-hmm. of, you know, um, being very aware of, you know, this, I don't know, equilibrium being lost, you know, and just shattered. And then on my mother's side, you know, my mother's father, um, you know, was part of the the Canadian merchant Marine and, you know, the enemy, (laughs) I mean, it's a crazy story. I, I, do we have, I don't know, do we have time or is it? (laughs) So like my, my, my father's family was put in an internment camp. And so they're kind of like, you know, I probably, I would assume in their heads, they're like, you know, we've been good citizens. You know, even my grandmother was born in Canada. She was a Canadian citizen. Oh, wow. um, but I, I would imagine they're probably at that point like, wow, like the man who would probably be primarily Caucasian yeah. really fucked us over here, you know? Like we've yeah. been good citizens. And then and you'd the- always be uncertain even like After. At, at, when you were a kid, you're your dad knows what it's like to have real uncertainty in his life. Like yeah. things just gone yeah and they you know and, and and all the results of that you know having to work like you know he was like in second grade and he would go to school and then he would come back and then and uh you know once they got sort of assigned from the internment camp they were given a plot of land with um i think a, i think like a little shack and a chicken coop or something like that and i remember then wow. i remember i heard at one point that they they actually had to like kind of fix up the chicken coop for some people to sleep in there oh until they got God. like money together and kind of were able to build out from that so wow. My dad would go to school, and then and they it was a sugar beet farm that they eventually kind of set up. But he'd have to you know work you know from the time he got home in the sugar beet farm, and him and all his brothers and sisters. He came from a family of seven siblings. Oh On the flip side, my mother, her father, um, you know, joined the Canadian Merchant Marine in World War II, and. Um, you know, he was on ships that were basically escorting supply ships. And at one point, I guess he ended up, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where he was. I think he kind of ended up in the in the Pacific at one point. Um, and uh, his best friend was on another ship. And uh, he told his best friend, hey, I'm pretty tight with like my CO here. I think I can get you transferred over to my to my ship. And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, okay. His friend was like, yeah, let's do that. That'd be great. Like, we'll we'll hang and It'll be way better experience, obviously, you know, having your best buddy, you know, yeah. be on your ship. So that happened. And I think it wasn't too long into it. Like maybe a couple weeks later, they got attacked by Japanese fighter planes oh, and wow. they were running to the guns to like, you know, shoot at the planes. And apparently one of the planes uh, was shot down and blew up and shrapnel came. And as they're running, as he's running with his friend, his friend, uh, his head was uh, decapitated. He was decapitated by shrapnel from a Japanese plane. And my grandpa was like, stop for two seconds and then just kept running to the guns because it was, yeah, there's no other choice. So for him, his feelings about Japanese folks were pretty bitter. Yeah, and, that, uh, that generation yeah. for sure. Wow. And so that, that led trouble. to some real problems with alcohol and so, you know, a lot of pain, you know, for the rest of his life mentally and, and, you know, and with alcohol problems too. So, wow. um, you know, so these are these two stories and then, and then, and then my father, you know, his cousin went to school with my mother and, and his cousin ended up introducing them. And they were in Edmonton in Canada, which is like, you know, further north in the province of Alberta. And they were both, um, it's a longer story on how they both ended up in, in Western Canada. But um, long story short, my mother needed a ride 
from university down to Lethbridge, Alberta. It was a six-hour ride. And my dad, who had never met her, offered to give her a ride because he was going there too. Okay. And his cousin had gone to school with her. So she was like, you know, can you give my friend a ride? There so you go. Like, yeah. So they met. <laughs> Six-hour car ride <laughs> and vibes super heavy. And next thing I know, I'm hearing stories of my dad like learned how to play guitar and was like singing songs to my mother outside oh, the window. Like serenading her. I don't know. That some of these things may be like exaggerated. So but point sweet, being, though. they fell in love um, and uh, and neither of their families was into it because my dad was the first one in his family to marry a, yeah, I mean, to, to be with a non-Japanese yeah. person and vice versa. My mother, the oldest in her family, is dating a Japanese guy. Her father was horrified. So oh. when they went to get married, because as I found out later in life, like my mother was expecting me. I was, okay. a, I was a child of love. Um, <laughs> but basically they went to get married and I think both their parents boycotted the wedding so if you oh, see wedding so photos, intense. it's only their siblings and cousins that showed up. Wow. Because um, it was this like heavy-duty interracial situation. Wow. <laughs> so. did, did they keep their uh, respective religions what, when you grew up? Or did your dad still be? My dad wasn't person? really too religious, I don't think. Um, he sort of, he would end up going to church with my mother sometimes. My mother was, I mean, I should say is. I mean, both my folks are still alive and they're actually still together. But my mother is quite religious and goes to church. My dad will go with her once in a while just because he's a good husband, you know, but he's not yeah. really into it like that. So that's kind of what informs, you know, who I am. And, and like you said, a mishmash of culture, a mishmash of religion and these heavy stories, you know, in our family history. And so I think, and, and then also when I grew up, you know, I was this, uh, I kind of fell into this category of other, you know, yeah, I was no. this half yeah. Japanese kid. There was no other half Japanese kids around. Totally. Uh-huh. So I attracted this little circle of friends where we were all others. I mean, my friends were mm-hmm. from like Trinidad, Guyana, you know, weird German kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was that Jamaican kid. Girl. I was that kid. Yeah. I'm Greek. So I was okay. constantly being drawn to all of the people that were from outside yeah. of we all looked at each other like, I don't feel like I fit in. Dude. No, I don't fit in. No, I'm getting, I, you know, like my friends were getting beat up and yeah. picked on. Yeah. And, and I was too, you know, not as bad as them. You know, I feel so bad for those guys. I mean, it makes me, it makes me emotional to think about what, what some, you know, my, particularly my friends from Trinidad and Guyana, what those guys went through, man, they got beat the shit out of them. Yeah. And so, on. you know, there, again, empathy, a, a great deal of understanding of that. And I think for me, you know, painting people of color was a very natural thing because I, you know, I'd painted my friends or I'd had mm-hmm. them pose as you do, you know, when you're a young artist, you get your friends to pose. Mm-hmm. I didn't think much about it. Um, and, and, and I, you know, it, it progressed into like, obviously the more the work got out there, the more I realized, you know, I think I'm on a bit of a mission here. I think that this, it's not something I planned. I didn't plan to go on a mission. Right. You know, I didn't plan. I didn't look at the art world and say, okay, there's a deficit. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I mean, I didn't look at it in an intellectual way and do that. Right. I think in a purely gut yeah. instinct yeah. way, yeah. that's exactly what I did. I was like, I just haven't seen any, any paintings of women of color. I haven't seen it, you know, a good, re- and I'm talking about realism, especially, you know, the, the mode that I work in. Um, I haven't seen a good painting of a woman with an afro. I didn't mm-hmm. have that point of reference, right. especially uh-huh. the time I started painting. I mean, later on, I discovered, like, I didn't know who Barclay Hendricks was, for, instant, for mm-hmm. instance, when I was painting, you know, in, in 1991. 
and then I discovered him later down the road. And so he was sort of a kindred spirit in some ways. And I luckily had the chance to meet him before he passed um, a couple of years ago now. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I met him and he passed only, man, a year and a half, two years ago. Mm. Um, so I was kind of flying blind a lot. I, like I said, it was a lot of gut instincts of saying, you know what? First of all, I'm not I'm not drawn to painting, you know, somebody that I've seen, you know, throughout history, basically painted, you know, multiple times. Right, right. Uh, I, I just was drawn to like those subjects that I that uh, I there was no precedent in a lot of ways. There was a, a strong connection for me, you know, emotionally or you know, or an idea that I really wanted to portray this person's story, you know, which I think portraits are, you know, really sort of uh, telling someone's story to some degree. Mm. Um, it, you know, it, it, when I reflect upon it now, it's, it, there was even like naivete involved in it. Like I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, even the repercussions of, okay, hey, you're not, you know, you're not African-American mm -hmm. and right. you're painting African-American folks. Like, and that doesn't line up for us. And therefore we, you know, when I say us, I'm talking about the disapproving voices. I, it didn't yeah. occur to me that that would be a thing mm -hmm. right, whatsoever right. because of my experience and my, my vantage point. Um, you know, this is a very, uh, you know, this is a country that's still suffering uh, daily trauma, you know, from its history and the dynamics that were established, you know, here. And there is so much pain that runs so deep. Uh -huh. So you're it's always going to be hitting happened. nerves, you know, yeah. right. when, when, when you're kind of, you know, moving against the grain. But um, like I say, you know, at the end of the day, it, you know, if and if there's criticism and it hurts my feelings, you know, so fucking what, man? I mean, the the work, the the calling to make what I make, it's it's more, it's bigger than my ego. My ego doesn't matter, you know. Mm -hmm. My my, you know, whatever accolades I get to, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You know, the work that has to be done has to be done, mm -hmm. and uh, I I felt compelled to to do it, you know, regardless of whether there was approval over over my skin color or not. Um, I, I thought that I was up to the task of representing people in a, in a way that was, um, you know, respectful and, and honored, you know, who they were and their history and their story and strive to capture, you know, their, their beauty, um, mm -hmm. both exterior and in, in interior, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's how I got here. I think is just, mm -hmm. uh, a very, um, altruistic sense of what I was trying to do. Well, it's kind of an interesting topic that I think a lot of painters to to more or less degree deal with, that idea that you're painting, like you said, from your gut, but then it feels like when you put something out in the world, you're almost playing like political defense, and then it seems to like... To deal with all the crap that it brings. To deal with the crap. And if you're not strong enough, you'll wind up really altering your vision just so it's sort of unassailable, you know? Agreed. I think that, you know, I, I, I mean, anything you do, you know, creatively, I mean, the, the more exposure it gets, the more you attract all kinds of reactions yeah, to it. You right. know, I mean, you can talk about, you know, like musicians, like, you know, <laughs> it's like Jay-Z is a pretty beloved figure, but then you can also find like people that hate Jay-Z yeah. <laughs> and hate him in a personal way, you know, and I'm like, I don't. Under, you know what I mean? Like you're always uh -huh. going to elicit emotion from people experiencing um, creative ventures and, and other stuff. You know, the humans are, you know, <laughs> simple 
complex, <laughs> maddening, you know, um, lovable. I mean, there's yeah. all these, there's a, such a range of emotion. Uh-huh. But I think you're right. Like, you know, at a certain point, you know, you receive some criticism and it can be a shock to the system uh-huh. because you've maybe been fortunate enough to be sort of coddled to a certain, you know, to a certain extent in a little bubble, especially when nobody's seeing your work except for your small handful of friends. Or then you you graduate to having a little show in a coffee shop and your buddies come and everybody tells you how wonderful you are, you know, and it kind of progresses. But then the, the, the larger the stage gets, it opens a lot more doors to these uh, people that don't know you don't care. they, they want to make judgment. They love to criticize, you know, whatever yeah, may happen. Right. And for sure, it's going to rattle your cage a little bit. For sure, yeah. you're going to have to, um, you know, sort of check your your motivations. You're going to have to dig down deep. Your your Which philosophical. Which is good. That's a good yeah. thing to do. And, yeah. And it seems oh, like you've yeah. really leaned into those things. It, it, you've kind of take like I don't know when you did that interview, but you said, you know, I'm. I'm realizing my work is political and I am talking about these things and I want to own it. And I feel yeah. like that's, that's such a great step forward when you find that newfound awareness. Yeah. What well, am I making? You're right. And, and I think that, that it, exactly what you said to Marshall, like it, it is a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, there's been so many growth periods that have come out of uh, pain and, and, uh-huh. and, you know, being a little heartbroken sometimes with, with, uh, certain people that have confronted me and, and, uh, yeah, having to dig really deep, having to grow, you know, as a person, having to like really stabilize, um, my philosophy, having to get more grounded. Mm. Um, you know, even, I remember it even got to a point where like, okay, you're really, you're shaken up. You know, this one guy came up to me and he was like, he basically said, you know, fuck you. Um, mm. you stop painting black people, stop, you know, you need to paint, you know, white people. And I said, well, I'm half Japanese. He goes, well, then you need to paint Japanese. You know, I was like, it got all complicated, right? Which is what this whole thing is kind of so silly. In the, yeah. You know, on so many levels. Like, okay, so I can only paint half Japanese people to get your stamp of approval. <laughs> That's know. right. Uh, I, you know, if we want to get really specific, not even just half Asian people in general, half yeah, Japanese. Half Japanese. You know, like, yeah. How specific do you want to get? Their father has to be Japanese, you know. Whatever. They have to be Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then on the flip side, there's so yeah. many, like, it's such a porous, you know, ridiculous thing to, like, for him to try to defend I mean you know so like my girlfriend's African American so um, so I'm not allowed to paint her according to you right. guy who I don't know random right. stranger yes. you're telling exactly. me I can't paint my girlfriend or I can't paint my cousins who happen to be half Japanese half African American you know like it's just it gets it, it falls apart pretty quickly right and and that's before you even get into philosophy and all that kind of stuff (laughs) just on a very pragmatic level when you're like putting out the ground rules you know it's pretty easy to poke holes in that but uh um you know growth period like I I guess what I was trying to say is there was probably a a moment where I looked in the mirror I said what are you gonna do man you're gonna quit doing what you've been doing you're gonna quit everything that you believe in are you gonna are you gonna back down because you got scared by by one guy that was mad and you know, and I won't get into like details on him personally, but I know that there's stuff going on that's that's pain oriented for him too. Um, but no, I was like, no. I mean, you know, it's right, ridiculous. Exactly. Like for me to like question um, altering my course, you know, like like I would 
I would never be happy being that kind of person that was like, hey, guys, you know what? Um, so I'm, I'm a painter, and I'm thinking about painting landscapes. What do you guys think? Is that, is that good with you guys, like landscapes? Yeah? Okay, all right, I'll do it then. Just as long as everybody's cool with my landscapes. And then even then, you get into the genre of like landscapes, and then you get the plain air guys that are like, if you can only paint plain air, what are you doing uh -huh. painting a landscape from a photo? You know? That's you know? right. And you get guys that are mad so you know, over much. that stuff. So people are like, always going to, I only like yeah. paintings with pine trees. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, <laughs> you're Canadian. You should only be painting Canadian landscapes. Got to be maple or, trees. Yeah, you know. That's <laughs> it sounds like that story, like your personal story of your grandpa and your parents it's like very similar kind of kind of struggle in some ways. So like, rather than painting like the color of a skin, you're painting a story, a representation of a story, a yeah. strong representation yeah. mm -hmm. of a very similar story. Well, absolutely. I so mean, like you can't like, that's so true to you. So of course you, you can't back, back away from yourself. Exactly, man. I mean, that's a great way to put it, you know, like, like, like my my work is me it's an extension of me and it's an extension of my concerns and where my heart is at and my empathy and my experiences and, and my philosophy on like you know yeah. us you know of, on humankind and you know my um you know feeling that we are all one you know mm -hmm. which you know it, you know it's funny that people make that to sound corny but it's so true like our dna is 99% the same you know there's 1% yeah. variation that gives us our different you know colors and different shapes and you know all that kind of mm. stuff and you know it's it's what you choose to focus on right like like everything is a choice i mean a lot of people are unconsciously just going towards reflexive decisions and reflexive judgments but as soon as you stop and think and get a little more conscious and watch your ego and watch, um, you know, your your tendency to see things through, like everybody has glasses in how they see the world, you know, and everybody's mm -hmm. prescription is is dictated by their life experience and their pain and their or their joy or or whatever, mm -hmm. and that's how they see things, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I know some some people that, um, you know, uh, you know person of color, uh, a guy I know who wakes up in the morning and is just pissed off. You know, he looks in the mirror and he's like, fuck, fucking who's going to fuck with you today? You know, uh -huh. I'm black and I'm going to get fucked with and I'm going to fuck with people first. And, you know, that kind of attitude, you know, it's, it's about your ability to uh, look at yourself and, and control your attitudes and therefore you know, influence the prescription of these glasses that you see the world through. And some people wear rose color, color glasses. That's, That's a cliche. Right. And others I think a others lot wear of, a very dark, you know, I think a lot shades. of it comes down to heart and motivation, like we were talking about in your work. The weight to it, the empathy, like you really pull off what you're doing through your your life experience and where you're coming from. And, and I do get nervous with that, that topic that we're talking about, that there are people who will have good intentions, a good vision, and, and they will be dissuaded by a few comments, you know? Yeah. Like you were saying, there's plenty of people who will just paint landscapes after a few comments or right. whatever. Because right. it, it takes a real strength and fortitude to, to maintain that. I think it does. I, I mean, who knows, you know, who I would be as an artist. I mean, I like to think I'd still be doing the same thing if I had grown up in America, but who knows? You know, like maybe, again, I would have been weaker and maybe influenced, you know, in a different direction. I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh -huh. I think that 
whatever happened, you know, with me was sort of the perfect storm, <laughs> you know, to, mm-hmm. to cause, you know, this, this situation to come about. And, um, um, and I'm so thankful for it. I mean, I'm, I, and I, I do want to say like, you know, there's, I, I don't want to, say that there's it's this negative stuff all the time it's really right. it's honestly sure. it's once in a while you know I, and and once in a while i hear buzzwords like cultural appropriation or mm. or people get focused on money issues and you know those types of things but it's not like it's not something i'm assaulted with daily in fact it's quite the opposite you know i get so much um positive feedback i've i've received so many heartfelt messages from people that have said thank you you know like thank you for 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 painting this. somebody that looks like me or like mm-hmm. that you know when i had the the portrait of uh, called i love your hair in the national portrait gallery you know i got in dc and then it went on tour and i got so many people saying like my daughter saw that and said she looks like me you know Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, again, it makes me emotional to recount that, but they're like, and I started to cry, you know, yeah. like that, that, that's what somebody would tell me. And, and this was not what I was seeking, like, cause you, you, the stories that come to you and the feedback is, is kind of stuff that you would never, you couldn't really conceive of imagining that that would be the feedback you get. But those are the kinds of, of gifts that I, that I get back that I, you know, and especially when you have a down day or, or there, there are some doubts, you know, which happen to all of us, no matter how strong you are. Right. Um, I, I circle back to those messages mm-hmm. and say so you, you're, 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 you're delivering, you know, an important, um, an important uh, medicine. Yeah. Medicine or vision or, you know, or message. Um, and, and, and people are receiving that, you know, and, and. And so many people, they don't give a shit what you look like. They do care um, that your heart is pure and that your intentions are pure and that you're you're doing good work, you know, and that you're delivering a, a an uplifting message. That that's yeah. the overriding thing. And so that's been um, in so oh gosh, I mean, you know, like I say the word gratitude, but it's really hard to. It's beyond you know what sort of words can can express. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, you know, it, it, and it's interesting cause like, luckily I have those things to kind of, you know, fortify and kind of, you know, give me sometimes when the, when the fuel tank is pretty empty, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm maybe I'm, I feel like I'm stuck on the side of the highway and somebody comes along, Hey, I got a little gas for you, man. Like <laughs> yeah. a little, little tiny gas can and just kind of gets me back on the road. That's what it's like. Oh, because that's great. You know, I, I mean, for me, it's like I, I realize like the more that I sort of progressed in this, you know, industry and in this world and the more that there's nobody that's like me, you know, which is interesting. Like, There's no older half Japanese Canadian guy who is painting women of color that I can right. call, you know, for advice. <laughs> like, hey man, like, uh, Hiroki, like, how did you deal with this situation when somebody said that? Like, there's nobody, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's been interesting because, and it's not something, again, like the whole thing, I think for me, I think the key to everything is it was never contrived. You know, I never thought of this as a, you know, an idea to be different. It just right. happened. It just happened. And that's the key. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, but to have like, you know, young black artists hit me up and be like, hey, man, like I was looking at how you painted these dreadlocks to get some good, you know, ideas on how I should do it. 
Huh. I'm like, wow, man, like that that stuff that's is touching. That's a cool compliment. Yeah, I mean, that's that brings cool. me to tears too. Yeah, you know? that's so great. And so, uh, you know, anything, you know, it's tough because things get busy. As you know, man, you got a show coming up and uh-huh. schedules get jammed and I get so many requests for, for help and advice and those. And, and I feel bad. I mean, I wish I could, you know, um, uh, reach out to people, you know, as much as I'd like to, but, uh, um, just to have those requests and just to have people come to you and say, like, how do you, you know, what do you, you know, could you help me out with this or that, or give Mm -hmm. me some advice? I mean, just, just to be in that position is, uh, is a great, you know, great honor and a great privilege, you know, let's talk a little bit about your, your studio time and, and how you find your models and, you know, what that looks like. Do you, do you have them come to your, into your studio? Do you, how do you? Yeah, uh, I do. I do. I mean, I, I have people pose and, and, um, um, not for long sessions. I usually, you know, I might do some sketches. I do take photographs, Mm -hmm. uh, most often because I work crazy hours and people, their lives in New York are crazy. And, you know, so when I'm doing a painting that's going to take two, three months, um, it's really hard to ask somebody to pose like that. I think also in my case, I'm not such a, like a stringent academic. Like I do have friends that are like that. They're like, okay, I can only paint on days where it's overcast and I have a skylight <laughs> uh, and the, yeah. the, during this particular time and you know, they make beautiful work, yeah. but I'm not so rulesy like that. Like, like for me, it's still, the image is important. I'm not like a strict, strict academic guy. Right. So I think that I learned enough from painting from the figure and, and, and you know, over the years to like inform, um, you know, when the, fo- when the photograph is lacking certain information, I can kind of fill in the blanks a little right, bit because right, of my right. experience painting from life. But yeah, I work crazy hours sometimes through the night, you know, uh, and so I've got um, this great reference from people that have posed. Uh, you know, I still ask people that I meet sometimes. Okay. A lot of times it's friends of friends. And really probably half the time now it's people that write me, you know, and ask oh, really? to pose. Yeah. Cool. And who want to be part of the work, and that's another great, you know, that's great another gift. Layer of it. Yeah, really that's awesome. another layer. Yeah, and it and it's and it's tough because, like, I mean, so much of that comes in, and that is, man, you know, that that is so like touching, and it, and again, it's just like. I, I can only work so fast, you know, and I, right. I'm, I'm actually, I've had people that, you know, posed two, three years ago and I'm still trying to get to those paintings because, yeah. you know, my, my stuff does take a, you know, a decent amount of time. But, um, you know, so I do sort through some of those though and, and, and get into a little bit of the backstory on that person and, and some of the, the works that have really, um, that I'm really happy with over the last few years have been people that have approached and asked if they could pose. And, mm. and sometimes that's turned into multiple paintings of that person, so that's pretty cool, you know, to, to get to that point where people really, really just want to be part of it. And that's, that's so uh, cool. That's very special. Are, are you having them in front of the, the walls you're using, or are you just kind of filling that stuff in? Or? Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. uh, it depends on situational. You know, sometimes it's pieced together. Uh, sometimes they are in front of a particular wall. Um, sometimes they're just on a neutral background. And, and sometimes I don't know what I want to do with the background yet. Like, there's, there's, different, there's all different ways the paintings come together. There, there's preconceived ideas that I've had sometimes for years, um, like and it just never quite got to for a couple of years. And then mm-hmm. other times it's, I know I want that person in the painting and I don't know what's going to happen in the background. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, speaking of which that reminded me, like I had this idea, um, 
it was a, I think it was a friend of mine years and years ago, you know, dressed as like the black Rosie the Riveter. She had the head wrap, whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that'd be a good painting. Yeah. And I sat on that idea for several years. And a couple, about two years ago now, I, I did it. Finally, um, yeah, with another saw that. friend. And uh, um, that that painting in particular has really, really resonated with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought, you know, I'd seen versions of that. I'd seen, you know, even Beyonce did a photograph like that. Mm. You know, um, but I, I thought... I you know, what if somebody painted it in a more real way with more painterly concerns and like made the subject feel like really real? Hmm. And, uh, and so that, that's been a great, you know, a, a, a great reward as an artist to have people connect, you know, with the particular I think I image. I saw like a photo that. on your Instagram. Wasn't there a little girl pose like that next to the painting? Yeah. Too? Yeah. That was oh, cool. Man, so sweet. Yeah. This little, <laughs> little baby girl. She must be like three or four years old and she was doing the Rosie. And her mother found her the exact same plaid shirt and the exact head wrap. Like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It was so cute. So, so lots cool. of stuff like that. And, so um, yeah, it's been it's you know it's been a really interesting journey, guys. Like super, you know, like emotional <laughs> you know, ups and downs. Like I've cried, you know, for you know, out of pain, and I've cried out of joy. You know, um, it's wow. been it's been pretty trippy, and I'm I, I'm grateful. You know, I couldn't I couldn't ask for a more interesting life. That's for sure. By the way, um, is there is there any way to get a beer? In the middle sure. of this, sorry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can yeah, pause it. Let's okay. pause it. Go ahead. So uh, we were talking about that the that passage I had read about how, you know, if you talk to, ask anyone if they're an artist and they say yes, you're 99% sure that they're like a student or a, a hobbyist or something. Uh, how do you how do you stay in it so long? Right. How do you not fall? What, what was that book called again? Oh, that's art and fear. Art and mm-hmm. fear. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. Book. <laughs> that's that's my that. daily life: art <laughs> and fear. Um, they go yeah, I gotta read that. Yeah, I think I think that people that are really like I remember having a lot of trepidation about calling myself an artist for a long time. Yeah. Like I would just say, well, at the at most, I'd say, well, I'm a painter. You know, I would never say I'm an artist because I always felt like it was kind of corny. Like. I'm an artiste. Yeah, you know? right, right. And I wear berets and there's uh, something kind of stripy <laughs> shirts, blue collar and tactile about a painter. I paint. Yeah, it just feels less pretentious. <laughs> yeah, I always felt totally. like singer and artist felt pretentious, but these days, uh, I think a lot of people want to claim artist, and I think that the ones that are sometimes, like you said, sometimes not always, but that are most willing to say, "Yeah, I'm an artist." Yeah, you know, chances are they're probably you know sort of kind of do some art sometimes <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, or they're kind of in, you know, that sort of amateur kind of uh, mode of, of work. I mean, people that say you must like have, like you're so lucky, you know, you get to do what you love. It's so right. fun and all this. Like when, when any artist that I meet, it's like, oh yeah, I just play in the studio and it's uh-huh. so fun. I'm having a blast. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> You're not a professional artist. Because this is a pain game. You will suffer. You will hate your life. You will hate yourself for making uh-huh. the choices that got you to this point. You've probably argued with your family, your significant other. Yeah. You're falling probably out. lost a few significant you're others. Fucked up money shit. You're in debt. You owe people. 
You know, I mean, it's very rare when, you know, somebody hasn't gone through the, the grinder, right? Yeah. Like, well, so that's the name of this podcast, The yeah, Art Grind. The Art Grind. That, there you go. Well, that's, you didn't have to tell me anything more about it. That's why I immediately agreed to do this because that resonated with me deeply. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's when people say you're doing what you love. Well, I guess I do love it, but it's a. Uh, you know, it's a twisted, dark love sometimes, you know, I'm talking about the business aspect, of course, you know, like I love the models that I get to work with. I Uh love, you know, the, the intentions that I have a lot of times, but I think that, um, you know, but even that is complicated. Like we were talking about the reception to work once you put it out, like, best intentions and somebody says something it's like what the you know yeah for sure there's there's always like that kind of backlash that you never saw coming or so it is um, a dark twisted mistress yeah this art life yeah it's like an abusive relationship like i'm married (laughs) to painting you know and and you know i'll call her a she i guess i don't know it's just kind of random it could be i guess a he i don't know whatever but um but like I'm like the battered spouse, you know? <laughs> like, and I just can't leave her, you know. And I'm like showing up with a black eye like every other week, and saying that I tripped and ran into the you know, door frame, uh, but, fell down the steps. Yeah, but I've actually just been beaten so hard by this uh, by this game. You know, it, there's there's a lot that you discover along the way that's, um, you know, God, nobody can really teach you, you know, like, you can, even with your mentors, it's like everybody's story is different. So, like, yeah, you know, uh-huh. somebody that you admire that that went through it all and that really, uh, you know, has the, the scars to show for it, well, they can tell you a lot, but your journey is still going to be different because you're right. you, you know, yeah. there's no, there's no one you know, way or, or a couple ways that this is done is that there's an infinite number of, of stories, you know, that we have as artists. And so, you know, it's like you're just going off road, you know, through a forest, making your own path. You know, sometimes you can follow par- partially, you know, a path that somebody else cut. But if you're really going to be true to yourself and your craft, you know, you're eventually just going to have to, you know, grab a machete and just chop through the bush yourself. Oh, you know? man, that's so true. That's mm-hmm. such a good way to say that. That's yeah. so true. Like and and what what keeps you going? Like what keeps you cutting through the <laughs> the bars? Yeah, um, because you know there's no turning back. I think after a certain point, uh-huh. you know, it's like you you've lost the path back. <laughs> like I forgot to like tie a string or breadcrumbs <laughs> that got eaten and tie, tie the string to yeah. the lawyer tree. Yeah. Go back to grad school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Be an accountant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's, there was times when I thought like, Oh man, you should have, you know, I, I had a weird thing when I was younger. I, I, I thought that I would, I would like to be a cop. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Because it, cause of all the idealistic aspects of that, you know, uh-huh. like, you know how wrong that can go. But uh, <laughs> I thought I want to help people and I'm a yeah. Libra and I get justice and law and uh-huh. balance. and I'm fairly even killed. And I just, I don't know what I was thinking, but, uh, you know, do, do you I find didn't. yourself envious though? I'll see people, I walk down the street and just see someone like, 
whatever, a barista or a cop or something, be like, that looks great, man. That day looks nice. <laughs> well, because their day is done, you know, yeah, at their a certain day is time. Done. Whereas ours just continues, you know, uh, all, you know, until we meet our deadline and then. And then it's the next thing. Well, and then we have like a few days to get drunk and, you know, <laughs> celebrate and hopefully celebrate. Like, hopefully that's the other thing, right? Like you, you have all this pressure to like meet deadlines and then, and then, and then hopefully your work sells. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you could be working for this months and months and months. And then if you don't sell your work, then you don't get paid. And you then it's just, paid. and then it, then it just compounds everything. But uh, yeah, there's so much risk involved, you know, I mean, with any creative endeavor, but this is a, yeah, particularly interesting uh, game, the art world. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just grateful that I'm able to, to do it for a living at this point. But You've done um, it so well. I mean, I, know, thanks, back man. to that show when I, when, you know, 15 years ago as an art student looking at it, I was so impressed and just like, oh mm. man, that's, that's somebody doing it. That's what I want to do. Like, just fully in it. Yeah. It, and like even the way you're talking about your your life as an artist, the, the art grind, the things that um that you have said that, that maybe have brought you pain or brought you tears of joy, all of these things like that's part of being a real artist. Just being you're just fully in it. You know, you're not half-assing anything. There's it's not like oh, I'm going to do this part over here, and then over, and then I'll just kind of. Yeah. You're you're somebody that brings your whole self there, and I think that's what. If you're gonna put that label on yourself, you have to do that. You can't you can't just fake it in some other like gray area. Like it's all of you. It's it's a it's a life. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's what you know. That's what I aspire to is is to be pretty holistic about it. You know, pretty committed. I think. I mean, I think a lot of people that are half-assed and or you know who like. They, they love the idea of being an artist, but all right. the work and all the commitment that it's just too much for some people, you know, and they wash out. Yeah. I mean, people that I went to grad school with, I'm sure there's, you know, a number of them that probably no longer make art, Yeah, you know, and that's, these are folks from grad school, let alone college or whatever. But, uh, and, and along the way, you know, I've known some people that have kind of fallen off and taken regular jobs and, uh-huh. you know, just because it is so treacherous. I mean, I've been very lucky that I've had, you know, family support to a large extent, you know, mm-hmm. like at, at, at times that, and, you know, and I don't come from a wealthy family my parents are both school teachers. You know, there, there was points where they're like, yeah, like, you know, we'll take out a second mortgage to try to give you a little bit of, wow. you know, That's money cool. to, amazing. you know, so they're still like, I, I still owe my parents, you know, I mean, not just money, but I owe them everything because of the wow. support that they gave me. And, and, and gosh, you know, like I meet students that I've taught over the years. And, you know, when I was teaching at Parsons here in New York and also at um, City College up in Harlem who had zero support from their family. Like people were like discouraging them from making art. That's a yeah. whole nother ball game too when mm, you're like yeah. – your family is like telling you to, to quit, you know, and they want you to do something else entirely, you know, that's really tough. And, and so that I can't even begin to fathom how these guys have like stuck in there and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, against those odds have, have, you know, created a career for themselves. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough sledding. And, and, and it's, I, I think that there are, you know, for me, certain concerns with quality, certain concerns with quality control, um, 
you know, not all the time have I been able to like sustain those, you know, sometimes things do get a little rushed. There are some paintings that are out there in the world that I kind of wish, you know, weren't out there (laughs) or that Uh I could get back and rework or something, (laughs) but it it happens. I mean, you have to kind of live with some of the, the foibles of, uh, you know, you know, main, main, just maintaining, uh, uh, you know, a working career workflow. But, um, I, I guess my point is that the quality is important because I, I want to have the work sustain even after I'm gone, mm-hmm. you know, and have a life after I'm gone and, and, ha- and be recognized hopefully as being quality work that, that survives the test of time. Mm-hmm. I think there are some people that are a little bit half-assed with their practices now who have, um, you know, through whatever circumstance have actually gotten quite a bit of accolades and quite a bit of support and quite a bit of hype. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite fascinating when you start to see like, you know, so, sometimes, you know, you see people's work and you sort of dismiss it like, well, you know, good try, man, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. And then next thing you know, like, yo, dude, did you hear so-and-so got a show at the Brooklyn Museum? And you're like, yeah, what? It's that totally. guy? You know, like, <laughs> I can't believe it. So I that's know. going on quite a bit. But I... I and not to take anything away from those people. I mean, who knows? Like, first of all, they may be working to the absolute best of their ability. Sometimes I feel like I'm seeing somebody that's kind of half-assed, though, or like just the yeah. way that they execute stuff is kind of yeah. kind of uh. sketchy. And then, and then I, I can only wonder: like, will it will it sustain? You know, will it stand the test of time? Is it sort of a flash in the pan? Is there is it trendy? You know, right. I don't know. Right. Um, so there's a lot of questions there, but all I can control and all I really should be worried about anyways is my own work and my own practice mm-hmm. and maintaining my integrity. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's really, you know, you could take everything away. You know, I could stop selling work. I could, everything could dry up. But, you know, I've got to keep doing this. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I've committed to. And I've got to keep doing it in a way that, that I may maintain my integrity. Yeah, Sophia and I were having this like pretty deep conversation about wh- how you perceive your own work. Like, I was saying, I'm 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 all I'm never really like that. I don't know. I always feel like I could do more in each image, you know. And I'll see them out, and I'll be like, mm, you know, I'm just like I could have done more or. Yeah. But but that more is like a lifetime. Like if I had a lifetime to work on one image, right? I feel like it would just steadily get better. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, I I I think that for me, a lot of there's a lot of music analogies because I because I did you know get so kind of deep into music and and that the music analogy thing is always very helpful to me. Yeah, for sure. And I do remember um, you know one of my favorite Canadian bands called the Tragically Hip. Um, the unfortunately, the, the lead singer Gord Downey um, passed away from can- I know that cancer. Band. Yeah, recently. it was cancer a few years back. But he was a great lyricist. That you know, they, they were kind of just like sort of a you know glorified like straight ahead blues rock kind of band in a lot of ways. But his lyrics were super poetic, and the melodies that he found and the cadence, yeah. all that beautiful stuff. And I remember at one point he said, you know, you get into the studio with these songs. And you record it in its best possible incarnation at that time, 
but the songs continue to grow after that moment you captured them. Yeah. And we're playing songs now on the on the road many years out, and they're way better now. They're way yes. But and so maybe you'll do a live album or something like that. Yeah. But it's like you did the best you could at that time. You gotta mm-hmm. understand that that is just a part of of the creative process, you know. But like I look at you know is brutal though, because that's an image. Well, I guess recording a track is too. It lives on live. But yeah, absolutely. But like a, a painting is an amber, and it's like you know the next one you do will be better, or whatever. You know, you're growing. So, but it's like it exists as just that thing. You don't get to play it out live and like grow the the image itself. It goes into the next one. You, yeah. you have to trust your process as part of that. You have to trust your process as blowing air on the ember the next painting will have that painting in it mm-hmm, it's yeah. just going to get recycled into a newer fresher more mature complex sophisticated version of the same thing right you have to right. trust that and be able to let go of a finished painting i think one of the good things is painters tend to get better as they get older that does seem to be a thing i've noticed I think so. I think so. I think, you know. Of course, right? Yeah. There's I mean, you won't. But musicians so. don't. I mean, like a lot of musicians <laughs> kind of have that first one or two albums yeah. and then that's it for them, you know. But, you know, there, there's, you know, there's, there are painters that kind of, you know, they had one thing that they did really, really well oh. and then they tried to do other stuff and it just didn't work <laughs> out. Yeah. Know, yeah. It just didn't work out or, or, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe sometimes the vision gets bad or the... They just get stuck and they don't even realize how yeah, stuck they are. Yeah, very true. Or they, yeah, exactly. Or they get corny without realizing that it's gotten really corny and you know, uh-huh. it's interesting. But, you know, I guess I, I hear your point. Like, when you think about the song itself and, yeah, there's a chance to improve the song and, you know, but it's like it's like a painting that goes into somebody's collection, you know, in the same way that... that that song is on that record and that's the, that's the version of it that everybody's going to know. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and, and like when it, you're a musician, you're like, Oh, I wish I would have like changed that. No, uh-huh. changed my attack on that. And now this is the version that everybody loves. Yeah. You know? exactly. and, and then when you go play a concert, they expect to hear that version, even yeah. though you're bugged by these couple of things that you did <laughs> no, and it kind of haunts you forever. Though. Right. Yeah. But I think in general, the work, you know, hopefully it gets better. Hopefully it improves. Um, uh, there's, you know, like there's uh, was it D- D- that was doing those kind of surreal land cityscapes and mm. everybody loved those. And, uh, and he kind of got sick of doing them and, um, he tried to do something else. I can't, I think he was, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was doing like portraits of like himself in a suit of armor or something okay. like that. It was, I'm probably, <laughs> I might be off on that, but he was doing something completely different from those. People were like, nah, nah, yeah, man. Like, uh-huh. like nobody was into it. And so he went back <laughs> no. and tried to do the, the, the surreal cityscapes oh, the, again. And, then, yeah. and people were like, oh, you're plagiarizing yourself now. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> you win. You can't win. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think there's people that get caught, you know, I think, and, 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 you know, there's many examples of that currently. Like there's some, a lot of people that they found this thing that really, really works, mm. but they're kind of stuck doing that thing. Yeah. And I'm curious to see like, you know, what else are they going to do or how are they going to grow or where is this going to, where is this going to go? Like, right. Because everybody expects that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They don't want anything else. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? Yeah. So it's like, again, music analogy, like, you know, like I love, there's a, there's a record by the Pixies called Doolittle. 
I love that album. And there's so many different styles of song on that record. Uh, but they gave you that album, and there's all these different moods and different, you know, poppy thing and darker thing and heavier, you know, whatever. It's But you learn to define the Pixies as having that range. Yeah. Right. You know, they that can spectrum. do, you know, 10 different attacks on songs, and it's still them. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I think there's artists that do that as well. Uh-huh. That say, hey, you can expect five different things from me. And people are like, okay, yeah, I get it. Right. But then there's also like like with music, you know, when somebody has a couple of hits that are very similar and that's just it. Like they get defined as that. They can't do anything else. They can't mm-hmm. progress. They can't mm-hmm. move out of that like pop punk thing. People just reject it because that's what they established as as defining themselves and the same things happens with artists. You yeah. know, like they did this one thing and nobody wants anything else cuz no, that's you. No, yeah. stop trying to get out of the box that I've put you in, you know? Uh-huh. So that's interesting as well. Branding, you get branded as a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some hey, you're lucky to get it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Or you're gonna alienate, like the Beatles. Imagine, like my mother was a fan of, like I wanna hold your hand. Yeah. So the, the, the Beatles come up with, like, oh yeah, you know, Sergeant, you know, Lucy, and this, like, forget about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A song about LSD, mother. You know, like, <laughs> what? Oh, I hate that. You know, it's like they're gonna lose. You're gonna lose your original fans, uh-huh. and you have to create new fans. You know, or like seeing Dylan live now. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm a huge fan, and I'll see him live, and I don't even recognize the song until he's halfway through. Right. You know, it's like right, oh, it's right. like like a Rolling Stone. Right, now. It's right, like right, what? Right. Is... <laughs> so I feel like the life of the artist is kind of where we're leaving this conversation. Kind of come around, and we're. We're talking about uh, some major themes here, including things like you can't compartmentalize as an artist. You, the the pains that you feel, not just the business aspect, but the emotional element. I'm those those things affect you as a person. Your your art is part of you, and then empathy. Uh, that is, you know, the substance of which that separates, you know, a technical, you know whatever from something that feels that emanates something real that's what separates it from just i don't know technique an empty shallow technique is is heart and you showed us today like how how much of your heart is really in your work and i'm really grateful that you got to talk to us about that um i appreciate that thank you you seem to like live your your life with your heart uh kind of leading the way. And yeah, for it's better a, or for worse. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I just wanted to end our podcast today with a quote from a book I've been reading that's really amazing that everyone should get. It's called The Prophet. I'm sure everyone's read it by now. But, but it's, it's by Khalil Gibran. And this is just one line that he says that I, just really moved me. He said, um, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Mm. Mm. That's perfect. He, he, he almost said something that. just like that earlier. Pain, gr- you grow through the pain. Yeah. Like, it's huh. transformative. And, and yeah. If it's you, so necessary, though. Yeah. You know, hopefully you, you have the tools to, to understand that and, and harness that and channel it and improve yourself. And, and like you say, you know, break the shell and, and grow and, you know, get deeper in terms of your understanding of yourself and of, and of other people. And mm. move on to the next stage of your existence, and keep keep cutting through the forest without yeah. machete. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. to th- thank you so much yeah. again. I mean, you you you're this 50 years old, and you've been here going on 28 years, and yeah. I can't wait to see what you're making next. You want to plug in any shows coming up? 
Uh, I've got a show at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. It's not a solo show. It's uh, it's in kids space there um, oh, with kidding. a couple That's other great, great artists. Museum. Yeah, I and love that place. So I'm doing an interactive piece with some kids that are going to be allowed to you know tag and draw and oh no kid into a painting that I've done and um, and then I'll have some work over in Basel, Switzerland at Volta Art Fair again with Christian Marks Gallery. Nice. Great gallery I work with. Uh, I just got back from Hong Kong, Art Basel, with um, uh, Myler Art from uh, Tel Aviv. That was a fantastic experience. And I think I got the Seattle Art Fair coming up in August. And then Art Miami with Myler Art again in December. So my whole year is pretty jam-packed. Wow. Amazing. That's Very happy uh, you guys invited me. Thank That's you. So this good. is a good Thanks time out. Time. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be able to talk about all this stuff sometimes because you get in, in your own head and it's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I feel like I'm a little less crazy now. I got to, you know, <laughs> verbalize some of these things and you guys didn't like react to, you know, shockingly, you know, horrified by what I had to offer. So, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much, Thanks. Tim. Hey, Sophia. What? Guess what? What? People are giving us money. No way. They're literally giving us money. They're giving us money right now? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear it. Can I? <laughs> I, can, I can smell it. Can other people give us money too? I hope so. How do people give us money? You go on to artgrindpodcast.com and click the button donate with PayPal and follow the instructions. Yeah. The prompts? The prompts. Thanks again, guys. Stay safe out there. And don't get murdered. That's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a different podcast. That's a much that's a much better podcast than ours. <laughs> <laughs>